Hello, and welcome to Fiduciary Talk, brought to you by FI360. I'm Dwayne Thompson, Senior Policy Analyst at FI360, and I'm joined by Blaine Aiken, Executive Chairman at FI360. Today we're going to look at target date funds and how they are used in qualified default investment alternatives, uh, also known as QDIAs, as well as the other two options available under QDIAs, commonly called balanced funds and managed accounts. Uh, Blaine, welcome. Uh, let me note first that uh, all, you have a uh, webcast uh, that you had recently done with John Fastino, who's the new Chief Product Officer at FI360. And uh, it was entitled, Rethinking Target Date Funds, Who Needs Them and How to Compare Them. So let me just start out with that question, that basic question. Who, who needs target date funds and how do you compare the the variety of uh, TDFs that are out there. I know that sounds like a simple question, but it's probably more there, I suspect, than meets the eye. Can you explain? Sure, I'd be happy to, Dwayne. Uh, as you know, I mean, lots of attention is being paid to target date funds now. Since 2006, when the Pension Protection Act created that uh, qualified default investment alternative safe harbor. So now TDFs dominate the inflows from the 401k contributions and that really is expected to continue. And to give you some idea about how pervasive they are, uh, according to industry surveys, more than 80% of all 401k plans use QDAAs, and three-quarters of those uh, specifically use target date funds. Uh, but I do have three major concerns about this. And, and the first of those is, is that TDFs have become so ubiquitous and they're marketed so heavily that advisors and plan sponsors, it seems to me, uh, often just assume that they're the best choice without considering the other two QDIA options. And, you know, it's never a good thing for a fiduciary to make a big decision like this without even considering how well each of the alternatives align with particular uh, participant needs. My second concern is that TDFs really are in a process of evolving, uh, and yet the big three traditional TDF providers Fidelity, Vanguard, and T. Rowe Price continue to get the overwhelming majority of the assets. Um, the DOL has started to become more outspoken in their guidance about the need to both select and monitor QDIAs diligently, especially the target date fund offerings. And my uh, third major concern is that the defining characteristics of the various QDIA options um, and, and specifically the various types of TDFs, uh, those defining characteristics can really vary considerably, and yet the due diligence tools that are available in the marketplace today really don't, I think, do a particularly good job of looking at these characteristics. Well, not only that, but if you recall, we, we did a podca podcast some time ago that talked about a GAO report uh, uh, surveying uh, industry folks and, and some confusion about uh, the different options in, in QDIAs as well. So uh, in your opinion, what exactly should plan sponsors be doing when they decide to elect a QDIA safe harbor? Well, I think the fiduciaries to the plan generally, and so plan sponsors are really the ones first on the hook, but advisors who are uh, serving as the fiduciary advisor to plan uh, they also need to step back and think about what of these pre-diversified investment approaches that constitute QDIAs 
uh, will work best for the typical investor and the plan for which they're responsible. Uh, they shouldn't act hastily and just automatically select a TDF. There has to be some recognition that really there are two fundamental due diligence obligations, the first of which is to choose the right QDIA and then move on to choose the right pro provider. Uh, there's no real clear protocols used today in either of these two processes, uh, but as a result, I think it's important that before automatically deciding on a TDF, uh, look at the other options that are available, and, uh, but in a different way from maybe the way they're being done right now. Uh, we, we think of, as you teed it up at the outset, we talk about these generic um, categories of there being target date funds, the balanced fund, or the managed account options, but um, it's important to keep in mind that the QDIA rules uh, simplify the discussion by using these common product labels to reference the three types of QDIAs. Uh, you're not legally required to select specifically a target date fund or a balanced fund or a managed account. Uh, rather, you're able to uh, use the broader range of products that really that these titles represent. Um, it's important to note, though, that there are three common attributes that all QDIA, QDIAs must have. So they've got to be diversified so as to minimize the risk of large losses. They have to include all three of the basic asset types, uh, equities, fixed income, and cash or cash equivalents. And they've got to be designed to provide some level of long-term appreciation and capital preservation through the way they allocate their assets. So stripping away the labels uh, will allow the fiduciaries to view those three options more objectively and determine how to make the best selection for the plan. Since the uh, balanced fund option, you know, looks at a, a, a sort of static portfolio mix and, and, and it's supposed to be based under the, the DOL's rule on uh, overall participants in the plan and not their individual ages and, and so forth, why should a fiduciary advisor, Blaine, even consider it as a viable option? That's always kind of puzzled me. Everyone, unless everyone is the same age, uh, which isn't that likely, why would you uh, want to pick a balanced balance fund option, or does it go back to what you were saying originally, that we need to take a fresh approach when we look at the, the different alternatives? Yeah, I, I do think it's a fresh approach because, you know, you could kind of make a similar sort of argument when it comes to uh, the target date funds. Because here, a target date fund is kind of uh, driven by a, a retirement age, uh, whereas, you know, if you, if you kind of step away from the, the balanced fund uh, nomenclature and say, really, what we're talking about here is defined risk uh, as opposed to target date. So this is uh, kind of looking at risk as opposed to just uh, age, and, uh, and you can imagine under what circumstances a, um, a defined risk type alternative would be attractive. So, for example, you know, you could have a young individual who's career mobile, uh, has other financial objectives, and, you know, they're more thinking of their 401k plan as a wealth accumulation vehicle. They're really not focused on uh, staying with the same employer the whole way through to retirement. Rather, they use the 401k as a savings vehicle. In fact, I just saw an article today that talked about the millennials in particular uh, 
do view things in this way oftentimes. But also the flip side could be true where you, we could be talking about an older, highly compensated employee who has already accumulated sufficient retirement assets and they're thinking more in terms of estate or philanthropic planning or uh, you know, just leaving a legacy to, their, um, to the future. Uh, with their assets uh, in or out of the retirement plans. Now, so, you know, this I would think of as kind of a more of a legacy orientation, if you will, that would hit in this category. Okay. Now, where do managed accounts fit into this due diligence process? Well, this is the one that I think is, uh, I would refer to as more of a longevity profile, where it gives you the opportunity to, think about both risk and age. Uh, so it's a little bit harder to define a particular type of individual with this would work for, you know, as I mentioned on the, with respect to the, the defined risk side, it could be uh, those who are not so targeted to a retirement date. Target date funds obviously are highly targeted to a retirement date and more oriented towards getting liquidity at retirement. Well, here you have in managed accounts a lot more flexibility. Uh, they may be concerned about not being able to uh, have their savings, uh, the retirement savings, extend all the way through uh, their lifetime. Uh, so they could need to take on a bit more uh, investment risk in order to accommodate that longevity risk. And so this is where a more tailored solution like a managed account would benefit that audience. And, you know, in a lot of ways, Dwayne, uh, this probably uh, describes more individuals than would be appropriate for either of the other two. Uh, but there's trade-offs. You know, some of these are cost comes into play and, and um, those sorts of things can influence the decision. So uh, no clear-cut solution, but the, I guess the key point is here, you got to think about these things whenever you're trying to which QDIA to use. Well, that leaves uh, one other QDIA left, and that's uh, target date funds, which is uh, uh, really uh, wh where we started this conversation. Um, is there a better way to evaluate target date funds uh, since there doesn't seem to be a commonly accepted due diligence process for doing that right now? Yes, I think there is, and I, I think it goes down to uh, starting again at the a broader perspective about thinking which of the QDIAs uh, is appropriate. But when you do that, I mean, you can think about uh, the glide path in any of those three situations. Now, the glide path for the defined risk is uh, is a more static one uh, at, a, at a risk level that is uh, tailored more towards the, uh, the participant pool as a whole. Um, and it's more with the assumption that are uh, going to be a bit more mobile and uh, go into other types of accumulation uh, aspects. But with respect to the uh, to each of these, there would in fact be a, um, a glide path associated with it, and I think that can be characterized based on risk as a whole, albeit changing in the case of the managed accounts or in the target date fund. But I think always when you then... Uh, are aware of the glide path, uh, then you want to pair that up with the appropriate participant profile uh, and so undertake that glide path analysis to see what's most uh, appropriate for the 
typical participant. And then uh, once you've done that, undertake a more detailed investment analysis of the quality of the underlying uh, funds that would uh, be involved in each case. And one other thing I'll mention, Duane, uh, you know, there is not a requirement that there just be one uh, QDIA. You can actually have more than one, and the circumstance, for example, could be different if you're talking about rollover monies or, or monies that are, um, uh, that are coming into the plan new at, a, at the time of, uh, of the contribution decision. So uh, I don't think fiduciary advisors are completely happy with the tools that are available to them. Uh, I think the glide paths are hard to characterize, uh, but we could do better than we are right now, particularly by uh, looking at the overall uh, glide path in each of those options, characterizing them a bit better, and then diving into the underlying quality of funds or sub-asset classes to, uh, to do our due diligence requirements there. Well, Blaine, that's that's all great. It's interesting, and it kind of reminds me of when you look back at the the market correction in two thousand eight. That's when uh, you know uh, TDFs had just been kind of moving along, uh, sort of out of the the public uh, attention, and and also more importantly, Congress and the regulators. But uh, uh, they all found out that uh, uh, TDFs came in in different forms and with different asset allocations because. Uh, after the crash, some of the ones with a 2010 label in, 20, in 2009 lost a lot of money. So they weren't as conservative as perhaps uh, some of the uh, participants thought they might be. And, and Congress, as a result, had some hearings. And, and we still have the, the SEC and the Department of Labor looking at increasing transparency of target date funds. So I, I think this is a... Uh, it's an area in terms of due diligence and, and also for investors uh, looking at uh, what the disclosures say about uh, uh, the asset mixes and, and the risk involved and so forth. So I think this is very timely and topical, and uh, I look forward to hearing what else you have, unless you have any other thoughts to add. You know, the only thought I have to add is just build on the, the one that you just mentioned here, Dwayne, that, you know, we, we are seeing more activity from the SEC and the DOL uh, to uh, get increased transparencies on the target date funds, but also to uh, you know, specifically say to planned fiduciaries, sponsors and advisors alike, hey, look more closely and you do have an obligation to monitor the investments that are in the portfolio, including these QDIAs. And uh, so, you know, for example, the, the DOL has said, Consider custom TDFs uh, if the uh, traditional TDFs are not uh, working as originally expected or if objectives for the plan have changed. And I think that broadens out to that uh, the discussion that we've had here to say that it's not just TDFs. Open that discussion more broadly to the QDIAs as a whole. So that's well, thanks again. Uh, Blaine, and, and again, when I went back and looked at the uh, the, the rule from 2007, uh, you know, I realized that even though they used those labels, uh, they, the Department of Labor was attaching more importance to what was under the hood, so to speak, with respect to each of those options. So uh, I think that's something good for all of us to remember in the future. Pleasure being with you, Dwayne, as always. Thank you.